Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and we are joined this week by Don Pizzette, who is back. Don, how you doing? I am doing great. You know, it's a... Uh, it's a strange, wild world out there, so we got some interesting news coming up, so I'm looking forward to that, and we got another great guest, so it should be a, should be a good episode for a change. <laughs> for a change. <laughs> <laughs> Set the expectations right at the beginning. That's yeah. very good. And we have Daniel Lowry with us as well. Daniel, Ahoy, how you doing? Yes, thank you, sir, for having me back on, because, you know, it's my job, but it's also kind of fun. It is fun. This is... This, this is the one thing I look forward to each week. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, he's just cradling yeah. a bottle of bourbon. That is just <laughs> staring into the abyss. Sweet death is the other <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, it's, again, turned negative very early. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's hope our guest can can lighten the mood here a little bit. We are joined today by our special guest, uh, Terja uh, Shardhuri. I just knew I'd screw that up. <laughs> Welcome. How do you, how do you say it? You say it again, because you say it better than I do. <laughs> Yeah, I pronounce it as Turja Chaudhary. Oh, that's exactly what I said. Yeah. Oh, almost perfect. <laughs> almost. I, I thought it was, I thought you had just spoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like just like me. Yeah. And we and we were talking before we started. You're uh you're in India, so it's it's very yes. late there. So thank you so much for uh for staying up with us today. All right, well, let's get to know you a little bit in our first segment, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Torja. In this segment, what we do is uh, rapidly fire questions at you. We're going to ask you five questions. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each one. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you like that, and then we'll move on to the next question. Uh, We'll rotate around, and I think our first question today is coming at you from Peter. It certainly is. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually, I, I got so caught up in your name, I didn't mention you're the assistant director of cloud practice at Ernst & Young. And so I think most people are familiar with Ernst & Young, but let's talk about specifically what, what your department does there. I know you're, you're new there as well. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, before uh, I answer this uh, specific question, I would also like to have a quick shout out to you guys and this awesome show that uh, you are doing. Uh, I'm a really a huge fan and I'm a subscriber to this show also. So I'm really happy to be here today. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, now coming to the specific question, uh, if you see normally uh, when you hear EY, uh, you mostly uh, think about the assurance or uh, the audit practice, right? That is what mostly comes to uh, mind. Uh, it's one of the big four uh, like uh, PwC, Deloitte, KPMG. So mostly the tax practice comes to mind. Uh, but actually, there, there is an immensely capable and actually innovative technology practice, which is powering everything uh, behind the scene, in a sense. Uh, so it is the backbone for all the work that the company uh, ends up uh, performing in the different fields. I am part of that city, the client technology practice within EY, uh, where we are primarily kind of focused on uh, how technology can help in building a better working world. So that is the main premise. All right, so we, we know what your organization is kind of working towards, but what about you personally? Like as an assistant director in the cloud practice, what, what is your day-to-day activity? What, what responsibilities do you perform? So primarily I work with internal EY teams, uh, uh, mostly on how to adopt uh, best cloud practices, uh, design patterns, architectures at scale, while preserving business value. Uh, this includes uh, promoting best practices uh, across the firm, 
conducting product reviews uh, with a strong focus on reusability and standardization across service lines, uh, mostly ensuring uh, that uh, we are looking at a holistic view of cloud adoption across uh, the primary pillars, like for example, security, cost optimization, reliability, uh, performance, sustainability also. So in a nutshell, that is what I do day to day. That's cool. And you seem to work across most cloud providers. Does that present any kind of unique challenges? What would you say to that? Yeah. So uh, this is a very interesting question, really. So see, it's indeed a challenge uh, uh, to keep up uh, with the tremendous agility that uh, all the CSP uh, uh, displays, right? Uh, all these cloud service providers display, like they're announcing literally hundreds of services every year. However, I like to think of it as an opportunity. My goal is to develop a T-shaped knowledge, okay, where the horizontal bar in the T stands for breadth, uh, where I focus on uh, different uh, technologies, uh, different clouds, a little bit on different deployment platforms, a little bit Kubernetes, service mesh, GitOps, chaos engineering, everything. But at the same time, I also equally focus, if not more, uh, on the vertical bar in the T, uh, which is kind of like uh, signifying the depth where I focus hands-on on a single CSP. Uh, in my case, it's Azure. And to sum it up in one word, uh, it's like build on your primary cloud, but get certified on the others. So obviously you have a lot of knowledge in this space and, and I see you know on LinkedIn, you're, you're obviously sharing things all the time about that, but you've also started a mentorship program recently to, uh, I guess, more directly share some of, of your knowledge with others. Can you tell us about that program, how you're uh, selecting people to work with and, and what they can expect? Yeah, uh, really happy uh, you brought up this point. I just kick-started this. So these are completely free of cost, 16-week mentorship program. And this is my way of saying thank you to the community. Uh, this is because I have learned a lot from the tech community for the from the last few years, basically. And in this mentorship program, which is, again, as I said, is completely free of cost, it's mostly directed at working professionals who want to transition in their cloud journey and want to get that next cloud role or crack that next cloud interview. And in the limited time span that have that they have, I try to help them make the right decisions on, for example, which blocks to learn, or which technologies they should focus on, which certifications to take, and so on. So, uh, so finally, you know, looking again down your, your profile, you have a, a ton of different um, certifications and, and licenses and things. And so I was curious, of all of those, wh which one are you most proud of? So uh, this is an interesting one. So basically, um, uh, you can consider I hold over around 40 plus cloud certifications. But uh, funnily, uh, the, the one I'm most proud of and which I found the most technologically challenging it was not a cloud one, actually. It was TOGAF, which is, as you will already know, it's a certification on how to introduce an enterprise architecture practice in your organization. So that would be the one that I'm mostly proud of because, number one, it was extremely tough to crack. I had to prepare for like three to four months. And anything related to architecture, it ends up at the top of my favorite list. Makes sense. I've never asked you that, Don. What, what, you've got a lot of certs, too. What, what are you most proud of? Oh, was, gee, that's a, is it the hardest a, one? Like, is, is that one? one? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they're, plus. they're all hard a in plus. different ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a plus, plus is hard. Is, is special because it was my very first yeah. certification. It's probably so. whatever your most recent one is, too. Like, I'm proud of that because that's what I just I just accomplished. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like PMP was really important for me because it was like embracing bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, how about you? Oh, maybe maybe my Linux Plus because I just took it cold and passed it. Oh wow! So I felt like okay, yeah, you're like it. it I actually do this. Yeah. 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 Mine would be a certified Scrum Master because that's the only certification I have. <laughs> All right, uh, well let's uh, let's find out a little bit more uh, about about your backstory and how you got to where you are, Tertia, uh, with our next segment, which is your origin story. This is a pretty hardcore origin story. All right, so let's take a look back. I mean, you you started uh, your working career, uh, you know, a little over a decade ago. So, I mean, I I feel like the cloud was kind of in its infancy then. So you maybe didn't know where you were going to be. It wasn't like you had this specific goal of where you wanted to go. So let's talk about, you know, what your plan was and and, and how you've evolved that to get to where you are today. Yeah, so you are completely right. So basically, uh, uh, when I was three to four years uh, in my ticket career, I hadn't even heard of the cloud like that. Okay, we had used Dropbox and OneDrive and a little bit of Gmail, but we did not know cloud like we know it today. So when I was working at PricewaterhouseCoopers back in uh, 2016, I was leading a product, uh, engineering product, and actually uh, it was a single tenant product and then it migrated to being a multi-tenant and it was going to get deployed in AWS. And that was when I first got introduced to this awesome cloud thingy. And after playing around with AWS for one to two months, I was very quick to understand that this is where the money is. The cloud bus had arrived and I needed to hop on to get to a better future. So I quickly got certified on AWS. I started getting more involved in the AWS products. I deep dive. And the more I delved into AWS, the more I loved it. Okay, the more I these concepts where you can actually transition from a just a developer writing code to more like a deployment architect with DevOps practices and so on. So in PwC, I was working as a lead developer on AWS uh, services like Lambda, uh, other serverless services, a little bit of backend stores like DynamoDB and stuff. But from there, I moved into Accenture. In Accenture, I joined the CCOE, the Cloud Center of Excellence team, where my primary focus was on Azure. So initially I was on AWS, but gradually I got a chance to learn Azure as well, which was good for me. Okay, so our infrastructure was spread across AWS, Azure and GCP, but the primary was Azure. I got to learn a cool new uh, cloud provider, uh, Azure. And at the same time, I started learning some of these associate technologies, like for example, DevOps, uh, immutable infrastructures, infrastructure code, Terraform started at that time configuration management, Kubernetes, and all of those things that come around with, and I started getting certified on them also. And uh, so so things were looking good. Fast forward to now, uh, I am like a full-on cloud architect uh, at EY. My primary stack has now actually moved from AWS to Azure, primarily because of the huge time I spend on Azure on a day-to-day basis. But I still try to stay connected on the AWS space, and I'm even ramping up GCP as my personal goal in 2022. And all of this is aligned with, for example, that T-shaped knowledge uh, gathering that I was talking to you about. And uh, actually, if you see, so something that is very close to me is the purpose, right? I mean, what that I want to do. So from a purpose perspective, I really want to architect good cloud solutions. So that is my purpose. And I'm really happy, in a sense, with the 
decision I took at that time uh, to come where. And a very fun fact. Early on in my career, I had even rejected many job opportunities from very good companies, even with say something around 50 to 60 percent hype, just because they were not on cloud. So that how deeply I invested I was in the future of cloud, so to speak. You know, I'm, I'm curious. They say a lot of technology is cyclical, right? And it, and it basically goes and deviates a pretty far way and then it kind of comes back. So, for example, we, we had mainframes. And then we moved away to all distributed computing. And then now we're starting to, to get back to mainframes again, where everything's powered by servers on the, the internet, uh, like with software as a service. I'm kind of curious if that's going to happen with cloud, that we spend all this time moving technology into the cloud, that eventually there'll be this turn where we say, all right, well, now it's time to get stuff back to on-prem again. And we're kind of seeing that with edge computing now, pushing it back closer and closer to people. Uh, do you... Do you see that as something that might be happening in the next decade or so, or is that just not like we we are now a cloud world and that's where it's going to be? No, I personally feel there will be a bit of both. So enterprises who just thought that moving to the cloud is the only option, they will kind of fail because if you see the TCO, it is not that good for if you are just thinking of moving to cloud as this, like a lift and shift, so unless you are in a reserve distance type of thing, your benefits are not that much, very frankly, from a cost perspective. But if you're starting to re-platform, then actually cloud gives you a lot of benefits. And hybrid architecture is the way to go. And this is what came in all of the surveys that many of the companies are doing. So cloud will be there, but your on-premise will not go completely. And another cool thing that many companies are also doing is their container first approach. So that is something I think the entire kind of the deployment world and kind of the enterprise world agreed upon that, okay, let's start to deploy on Kubernetes. But as the Kubernetes founder himself had told that Kubernetes is not kind of for simple humans, right? I mean, he never intended it to be just used to deploy. So some sort of a deployment platforms on top of that, that is what I see. So. There will be deployment platforms, maybe like VMware, Tanzu, and stuff like that, kind of like what we had with Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And they will target either clouds, meaning public clouds or private clouds, but that will be abstracted from you. So our focus will again go into that deployment kind of set where we just code and we deploy and we don't care basically where it is running. So that is where I think the, the journey. So at some point, we will not even care whether we are on Azure or AWS. Well, we will we will save this, and if by some chance we still have a podcast in, in <laughs> ten years, we will we bring you back on. We'll play that, and we will all celebrate how I assume how correct uh, you were. But, but we we will see. Uh, we we've made some crazy predictions here ourselves. We're we usually look a year out, and we're typically wrong. very wrong. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how you look in a decade. All right. So uh, I know we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, your new position at, at EY, but is there anything else that you're working on you want to let us know about? Yeah. So currently uh, I am working on a prospective uh, um, book deal uh, with a uh, very well-known technology publisher. Uh, and the idea of the book is primarily on uh, some interview questions. Uh, that will come up for cloud architect roles. So I personally have given maybe 20, 25, 30 uh, interviews for cloud architect positions. And I personally have taken maybe another 60. So I have accumulated a lot of questions over time, uh, which I want to share with um, the community in general. So that is one. And another thing that you had already mentioned was about the mentorship program, mm -hmm. uh, where I will select around 10 to 15 people. 
and last but not the least this year i also plan to publish i have a youtube channel also uh, so with around 70 videos so i plan to publish more and more videos on how to get started on club so this kind of my year of giving back to the community and where would people go again to to apply for the mentorship program yeah so it's uh, basically mentioned on my linkedin page okay uh, so yeah and there is a very simple google form you just mentioned here already i have around 121130 people who have requested but i will select maybe around 15 to 20 out of them uh, who i will mentor over a uh, four month 16 weeks program great we will make sure to put that link then down in the description uh, for this one so you can and check it out there but uh, well we really want to thank you for taking the time again uh, staying up late where you are but uh, we really appreciate you uh, joining us and and uh, and the kind words you said about the show at the beginning thank you perfect perfect thank you for having me here have a nice time guys Yep, definitely. And and uh, everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. Going to come back and talk about the news from this week on Technator with Don Bazet. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well. It helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training and last year alone they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to Technator with Don Pezet and as Don mentioned, uh, a lot of weird stories again this well I don't know if they're any weirder than they've been. I feel like we've been saying that for a while and each week is just as weird as the last. Well, you know, all right, uh, as a middle-aged person, mm-hmm. I I grew up in the 80s and You're not a person. Uh, well, so <laughs> but you guys You got, well, I think we're all about the same age, huh? right? Yeah. And, and you remember back in the 80s, there was the, the threat of Russian invasion. Red Dawn Red was Dawn. in the movie theater. The original Red you know, Dawn. We, yeah, love yeah and, and so, Wolverines. you know. It was a uh, <laughs> it was a different world, right? And then in the '90s and early 2000s, we didn't have that. And, and David things, Hasselhoff went and fixed it. Th- well, that, that absolutely Hasselhoff. true, right? Mm-hmm. Well, today we're kind of getting back to that in a way. Like there is on a on an international stage, there's some big things that are going on right now that stand to cause a pretty big shakeup. And oddly enough, I don't know what you're talking about. Technology is in the middle of it, right? And so, like in the 80s, unless you were in the military, you didn't really play an active role in what was going on. But today, yeah, you just built your bunker and you just yeah, dug a hole a in the backyard. Yeah. Please don't shoot these things. Please just don't shoot them. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it's a it's a strange world. We've got some stories that are, are relate to this if you're wondering why I'm going on a weird rant right here at the beginning. <laughs> so we'll we'll make it all make sense here soon. But uh, you know, you'd think on a technology podcast we could talk about the cool new laptops that came out or Wi-Fi technology or something, but today it's uh politically motivated attacks. Laptops are dumb as hell, Don. Yeah. Politics, yeah. that's where it's at. I mean, who even has a lap anymore, right? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Russia took my government lap. took my lap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's jump in. Our, our first story is, is maybe something, you know, happier com- comparatively. Uh, this is from ZDNet.com. Microsoft marches towards its One Outlook rollout. Uh, Microsoft could take the wraps off of its project Monarch One Outlook uh, this spring after months of testing. And so is, is this just like an I- idea of kind of merging the, the user experience so it's all the same? Or are these actually on different backends? So right now, the, these are, are separate applications, right? So there's an Outlook iOS app, an Outlook Android app, the Outlook desktop app for Windows, and the Outlook desktop app for Mac OS. And there's the web-based 
Outlook Web Access or OWA. The, okay, that's the way God intended. Well, there you go. <laughs> right? They are five different products, five completely different code bases that, really? that don't really share much between each other. They have the same back end, right? It's all built on top of Microsoft Exchange and all that. But these are used by businesses all around the world by millions, really hundreds of yeah. millions of people. Uh, thinking about my career, I have been involved in, in Microsoft Outlook in one form or another since the mid-1990s, right? Like yeah. a long time. I'm trying to think of, yeah, I've probably used Outlook since early 2000s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, 2000, 2001. Yeah, so and then there's Outlook.com and, and yeah. you know, for personal mail and stuff. There's countless other applications that have come and gone in my career, but like this is the one that has stuck around all this time. And you have a lot of people who are holdouts that, are, that swear by the desktop app, right? They want to run the full Outlook experience. But years ago, Microsoft said that the web interface was going to become the way they want you to use Outlook. I moved over to the web interface years ago. I can't remember the last time I, I used the desktop app. Um, it's been the web interface for me. Well, Microsoft has secretly been working on Project Monarch, which is taking the web app and basically converting it into, originally it was going to be one of their universal you know, UWP apps, uh, but then they decided to make it a PWA, one of their progressive web apps, so that it could be one application that runs on iOS, Android, macOS, Windows, embedded in the web, and it's the same system. Much easier for them to support, right, because they're just having to deal with one, and users get a consistent experience no matter how they access it. So, that might not sound like news or anything that's too exciting, but the reason I bring it up here is a lot of our listeners support Microsoft Outlook or you know end users in some form or another, and many of them are resistant to using the web interface. But Microsoft has basically said, look, the, the day is coming soon. Uh, it's not going to be in 2022 that they cut it off. It, in, in 2022, we will see this new, new software, yeah. hmm. and that will be the future of Outlook. The desktop app is going to go away. Let me ask you this uh, to play devil's advocate. If if we're in a situation right now where let's say uh, something goes down at Azure and and uh, Outlook Web Access stops working, I could in theory then go open my old Outlook and get my email that way. Well, you could, but could you send email if Azure was down? No. Could you receive new email if Azure was down? Okay, I'm sorry. Like, you, you don't really the 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 Outlook client doesn't really give you any benefits anymore. It right. used to. So it used to be like if I was going to go on a flight. If I was going to be four hours in the air, I could fire up Outlook in offline mode, mm -hmm. see my email, respond to emails, fire off things, and they would just sit there. And when I landed at the other end, now I'd, I'd be able to, to send them all in, in batch, right? So there was that. Well, you can do that with, with progressive web apps. Uh, you can also just pay the 20 bucks for GoGo in-flight internet or whatever it is, and, and now you've got full access. So it... It, the, the old advantages of the app really aren't there. And it, it used to be, now, now we're really going to go back in time. <laughs> Maybe you bought a Palm Pilot or something and you could synchronize your contacts with Outlook. Do you guys remember these oh, days? Oh, yeah, I remember this. That's all old school, right? So it, yeah. it's all cell phones now. Really, the purpose of the desktop app has has gone. Yeah, I remember like the first time someone explained to me like when I had to make that decision between like IMAP or POP3. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so this one, it, it, when you delete it, it's gone. Yeah. This one, it's when you delete it here, it's gone here, but it's over there. Yep. And it's yeah. like, well, that just sounds extremely confusing. Or if you're connected this way, you can use folders. If you connect this other way, you can't use folders. And you say, well, how do I know which one I'm connected? Well, you can't tell they look the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, interesting. So yeah. keep an eye on that and something that, that will make the lives of IT professionals easier uh, in theory as, as that rolls out. 
All right, next up is from Jetpack.com, uh, and this looks like a like a security provider's blog, I believe, right? Uh, Jetpack is the kind of security arm of the the people who make WordPress. Ah, okay, that makes sense. All right, well, the headline on this one is Backdoor Found in Themes and Plugins from Access Press Themes. And this was a really interesting read to see, because uh, it, it, it's kind of cold, told in a narrative form of like, here's what we discovered, here's how... Uh, here's how it uh, was rolled out, and here's here's how it is now. So, Don, you want to bring us up to speed on it? Yeah. So, you know, WordPress is a, a content management system that is used by thousands upon thousands of websites. At one point, it was something like 40% of the internet was being hosted, or 40% of websites were being hosted on WordPress. So, very, very big. And a lot of people will secure their web servers. Obviously, you don't want people hacking in and defacing your web servers and things like that. But with WordPress, they have all sorts of plugins you can install, and themes that you can download to make it look pretty. And you wouldn't think about it like a, a theme. What kind of damage can that do, right? So my navigation bar is now blue instead of red, or I've got a sweet responsive mobile site now instead of the janky desktop site. You got something wrong what with janky desktop sites? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> But the way WordPress handles themes is through PHP and not through CSS. CSS would just be styles and that's it. But with PHP, you can have active code. And attackers managed to damage the supply chain for a theme company. The theme company is called Access Press, and attackers got into their data and were able to put a backdoor in basically every theme they made and a handful, something like 20 different plugins that they made. And these were used on thousands of websites around the internet. And if you downloaded that software from the Access Press website, it was already damaged. It already had a backdoor on it when you installed it. And when you installed it, it immediately phoned home and attackers are now able to take full control of your system. So really, it's a supply chain attack, uh, and it just highlights the dangers here. It's not even an application. It's just a theme you're downloading, and you've completely popped open your web server. So yeah, themes have always constantly kind of plagued um, applications like this, uh, especially when you think Joomla or Drupal, WordPress. They all have their own theme packages and uh, plugin packages that you can third-party install and have fun with, and a lot of them have been rife with security issues just do an exploit db search for any of those <laughs> and yeah. you will get a few returns so, so how does this work though do they get access then to your website that i can manipulate anything on the site or they get access to your network that kind of piggyback through it so the the way Both. this one was writ Both. written was that when the the theme was loaded it had a function in it and it would immediately phone home by trying to load an image from a remote server. So that was the ping to let the attackers know that this server was compromised. The attackers could then connect up and it would download a, I think it was like six or eight pieces to put together to create a reverse shell. So it, it didn't, it was, what it, what it does is when it phones home in the URL string where it's making the request for the HTTP request, right? In that string would be a query. And in that query would be a base 64 encoded string of, Here's my IP. Here's what version of plugins running. Here's the ports that are open. Here's all the information you need to make the connection. Then the attackers creates the perfect HTTP request to that theme that has the eight necessary items that allows them access mm. to the web shell. The, the web eight, shell. Eight herbs and spices. Yeah, the eight herbs <laughs> and spices. The old, uh, you know, the colonel's back <laughs> at recipe. It. He said, chickens for losers. <laughs> I got web shells coming out of my ass. <laughs> and he jumps in and he's able to then, once the uh, site sees that those headers are there, the code goes, oh yeah, all oh, that's the right thing. Here's your web shell. And they're able to access that web shell, which gives them access to the site or the underlying infrastructure that runs the site, which yep. is the server. So 
both is the yeah. answer to your question. Fun. Yeah. Good times had by all. And even if WordPress is sandboxed, like once you've got that level of access, you have access to the database, and that's usually what they want anyway. Yeah, gotcha. The what, good stuff. What was interesting to me here is that they, they said they contacted the vendor immediately, just didn't get a response. Yeah. And yeah, so, we'll get to it. I got more important things to do, like watch Sailor Moon. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. They, they did put the whole timeline, and it was interesting to see that. Like it took over two weeks just to notify the vendor. And the vendor probably wouldn't have responded if they didn't actually pull all the plugins and things off of the WordPress.org website. That's probably what because what well, that's it. what was interesting. They said that that's how they were able to tell if you, if they went to the WordPress site, the code looked this way. If they went to the vendor site directly, you could see this, there was something different. So it was clear yep. that someone had gotten in there. And it, I, I mean, my first thought in reading it was like, oh, is this uh, template provider a malicious you know organization that's yeah. trying to put stuff in there? But no, they were hacked. And, and stuff they just was put in there. Yeah. Yeah. So they do have a fix for it. Um, but. But you have to go install that, right? So not only that, but you have to uninstall WordPress. Ooh. Yeah. So that's fun because the fix does not actually like remove the. If you've been the, compromised. The web shell, yeah. If you've been compromised. So you have to get the, the clean copy of the themes and or plugins and reinstall WordPress to patch this. But the, but the, the information that, that you had said like was in that URL string. Yeah. Does. I mean, is that information, is that still it, it applicable? Do, it doesn't matter anymore because the, no longer that code is no longer there to process the eight herbs and spices to okay. give you the web shell. The yeah. web shell code is Okay, no I didn't know because they saved that stuff to say, okay, well, it doesn't matter that you don't have it anymore. I know the IP address. I know the, yeah. you know, okay. So Interesting. All right, so if you have one of those themes or if you're not sure if you have one of those themes, look into it uh, because if it is from Access Press, there is a chance that it is one of the ones uh, affected here, so fun good times all right uh continuing on the on the dark news that uh, that isn't good uh we go to theverge.com and this one should be interesting to gamers out there dark souls 3 exploit could let hackers take control of your entire computer the dark souls servers have since been shut down and this is something that doesn't just affect dark souls 3 but uh it says it affects previous versions of the game uh dark souls dark souls 2 and the upcoming elden ring so how are they gaining access through that all right so you know we don't normally report on video games in fact i think this might be the first time we've yeah, mentioned we video games yeah. on the podcast it's, it's uh, a crossover <laughs> so originally i was going to skip this article but i was talking to a friend who explained to me why this this actually matters and so i thought it'd be fun to, to bring onto the podcast here um it's a video game, right? And, and many video games these days are either, they either have an online component or are basically an online game, like Fortnite, where there is no offline mode, you play online or you don't play at all. Well, we don't really think about video games as being an attack vector, but when you're playing an online video game, you are basically building up a session to a remote server. Other players are sharing that session and if proper security practices are not followed, potentially someone else could leapfrog to gain access to your system. And that's exactly what's happened here. Uh, Dark Souls 3, I've not played the game myself, but apparently it is an incredibly difficult game. Uh, and so now it's got the added challenge of you could die in game <laughs> or get compromised. Or in real life. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a flaw in their servers has allowed a remote code execution where a completely remote person can send the right characters into the Dark Souls servers that allow them to execute code on your machine. And they can do things like launch shells and so on, like, like Daniel was describing a minute ago. Now, 
I said, well, who cares? It's gamers, right? It's not like they got access <laughs> to a, a hospital database or banking information. But uh, uh, the Dark interesting Souls side here is a bunch of like uh, cardiac arrest stuff. So. Well, well, a lot of right. hospital yeah. employees, I'm sure, yeah. play at work. <laughs> they, I suppose they could. Right. So it would give you a heart attack. But uh, uh, what, what was presented to me, what, what made the difference, what made this important was, uh, you know, a lot of the malicious attacks that you have right now, when somebody remotely compromises a system, they will try and leverage it for things like Bitcoin mining, right? If they get into your cloud account, they almost always try and mine some Bitcoin, right? Well, graphic cards mm-hmm. are phenomenally good at, at doing things like That's Bitcoin true. mining. And who has those? And who has those? Video gamers, right? And so good this point. type of attack can be used to instantly gain them access to a whole fleet of people with high-end graphics cards. I feel like gamers would like suss this out real quick, though, because they're like, I'm not getting 60 frames yeah. per second. I'm lagging. Something's wrong. And they're going to start diving into like what the hell's going on and yeah. figure out. Yeah, they tend to be... I mean, we see a lot of crossover between IT you know, workers and, yeah. and gamers because, you know, you're you're into the system then, you're understanding what's going on. So you're right. They would if probably suss it out pretty quick. If I'm not getting 60 frames quick. per second on Frogger, then I will well, Do they have head. 60 frames <laughs> per second? Yeah. One challenge with Bitcoin mining is the amount of electricity it consumes, right? So yeah. if, you're, if you're doing this legally right now, the electricity cost is higher than the money you gain by Bitcoin mining well, for most fun. people. So it's not worth it, right? Yeah. But if it's stolen electricity and you're using somebody else's system to do all this stuff, then that's free money right there. It's free money. At that point, if electricity is actually more expensive than what you could get out of Bitcoin, why don't you just run an orange cord over to your neighbor's house and start powering all your stuff? You can. That actually would be more lucrative. You'd be better mining for electricity. Yes. Thermal, geothermal (laughs) than actual. Have you read about some of the illegal Bitcoin farms that they they bust them? Massive amounts of power. And they're tapped right into a phone pole, uh, a power pole. yeah. yeah, they're not paying for that. Yeah, stuff. no, no, no. Well, yeah, it's funny because we've talked about how they used to. The one guy at the school, he was like using school oh, yeah. computers, right? Yeah. Well, we've talked about they they used like infrared cameras before to detect heat for for grow farms and yeah. stuff, and now they're using that to see the electricity yeah. uh, that you're pulling. But I thought this was interesting in how this one was brought to light as well because right, we talked about that in the last story where you know they brought it to to the theme developer and they and they kind of ignored it. Well, in this case, the guy was getting or guy or gal, I'm not sure, was getting nowhere. Um, with trying to report this and so he went to a, a big twitch streamer who was playing this game and said well i'm just gonna take him over so yeah. an hour yeah. into the game uh the, the grim the sleeper yeah used yeah. the text-to-speech and and you know then this guy who's got you know thousands of of viewers and followers and a little bit more of a platform was able to put it oh, out there unfortunately i hear that a lot where researchers will discover a vulnerability and they'll contact the organization and they'll be like i don't want that press yeah, yeah. shut up yeah <laughs> Or we'll get to it, and months go by, and they contact them and contact them, and they never get to it. Well, it's so. tough because this this person who did this, I mean, technically broke the law. You know, they they hacked this Twitch streamer because that's the only way that yeah. they could get yeah. that out there. I mean, I, no one's gonna right. uh, go after him in this case. It's a whole gray hat kind yeah. of area. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've got to I've got to break the rules in order to to okay. save affect some sort of change. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I think that brings us well into our next article, uh, which. Uh, is actually it's it's who got pwned this week. So uh, let's take everybody. Well, no, it's one country specifically, uh, and we'll find out. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah. Ukraine. 
<laughs> Ukraine has well, been prone. But in this case, uh, it's kind of going the other way um, because uh, hacktivists, according to ArsTechnica.com, uh, hacktivists say they hacked Belarus rail systems to stop Russian military buildup. And so Belarus is, what, directly north of Ukraine, um, but, but has a border with Russia as well. So Russia could come in through the front door or they could go in through Belarus and, and uh, they're, they're doing a pretty big buildup there by train. And so stop the trains. Yeah, so I, I'll try and stay out of the political side of this because there is a whole political discussion uh, around it. Uh, but from a technology side, this is a really interesting thing. So you have some some anti-war activists who see a military buildup that's happening on the border of the Ukraine, and they're looking for a way to to stop that. You know, what can they do as a as a hacktivist? What can you really do to stop an army? Mm. Well, they took a novel approach and said, you know what? Let's target the Belarusian railroad system and if they can inject malware into those machines, shut them down, stop ticket sales, maybe they can disrupt the train schedules enough that the military will either be slowed down in its deployment or stopped altogether. And so that's what they've done. Um, this, they've described it as using exposed uh, access po- or entry points on the internet to gain access, but it has all the marks of an inside job. So these are hmm. hacktivists within Belarus that are trying to get the Belarusian government to to stop being so friendly Which with. Which is pretty scary uh, because they're, they're not really nice to... Yeah. The criminals there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know. I've never been. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen reports. But what's yeah. interesting, so this is technically ransomware because instead of the ransom being money, they're saying we will restore service for you if you, uh, you know, make the troops pull out of there. And what was and the they said one? they deleted all the backups, too. So there was like, no, well, we'll just revert to a backup yeah. and everything's fine. Uh, release 50 political prisoners as well. So knowing the president of Belarus, as I do, those demands will not be met. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it sounds like they, they said they had multiple entry points into the system. So, you know, it's probably a pretty, pretty big, uh, uh, you know, they could get back in if yeah. they needed yeah. to. And they, they posted a lot of screenshots of systems that they, they were able to gain access to. And did, did you guys look at all the screenshots? I looked at the screenshots. Some yeah. of them were pretty interesting. Like, apparently, the, the train system there runs on bootlegged copies of VMware because they have, like, <laughs> VMware key generators and things like that that they found yeah. in the system. And That's funny. Hard to say that wasn't planted, right? Because it's, it's not like chain of custody has been maintained okay. which, here. Which poses an interesting you know, dilemma, I guess, if, for lack of a better word, whereas you have people that are breaking the law against people who are breaking the law. And, yeah. you know, is this a, is this a, this VMware, yeah. like we have our own ransom two quote would... way arguments here or something. Yeah. <laughs> two wrongs make a right. Yeah. We'd like our license yeah. fee and yeah. then you can get back. If online. you release the bootleg copies of VMware. <laughs> so it, it is interesting to see technology used this way is why I wanted to bring it up here. Yeah. You know, in the past, if you were an activist, you could do picket lines, you could block roads, you could surround a building, right. Uh, chain yourself to something this uh, seems a whole lot more effective and much more safe yeah safer for for you as the hacker right yeah, yeah. and so it, it's leveraging ransomware in a different way and so yeah. that just means if you weren't already worried about ransomware now it's even bigger if you happen to work supporting a public sector network you you could fall a victim to an attack like this not because of something you did but because of something that you're your overall government is doing. Well, we talked on when you weren't here last week, we, we had a, a story about Ukraine as well. And we were saying like in World War II, uh, before you have the uh, invasion at D-Day, you, you come in and, and you bomb strategic places, right. supply lines and things like that. Now you do the same you thing, but you do it digitally. You yeah. go in and, and you uh, and you t- 
take off infrastructure like this, you take out, you know, TV stations or things like that. Which is a great segue into our next article. It certainly is, which is also a who got pwned. Uh, it is from ABC News. Uh, DHS warns of Russian cyber attack on U.S. if it responds to the Ukraine invasion. So they're saying if the U.S. gets involved, if so and if, if an invasion does happen, Russia goes in and then the U.S. does something, whether it's, you know, providing <laughs> weapons or things that, that we will see attacks here, right? Yeah, this way it's a little convoluted, right? Because um, Russia is saying, "Look, an invasion's not planned, but if one were to happen, <laughs> and you, you stick your nose in it, try to stop yeah. it, yeah. then yeah, we're going to attack." Now, what this means to to us is like if you live in the United States and you are responsible for supporting any kind of public sector network or really even private sector at this point, yeah. they don't really discriminate on this stuff. Uh, that if political turmoil reaches a point over in Eastern Europe you may be under elevated cyber attacks. Like we, we need to be prepared for that. If you if you haven't evaluated your firewalls and, and things to make sure that you've got protections in place, if you don't have backups securely stored offsite, or if you do them infrequently, now's the time to ramp up, ramp up your schedule and, and get those protections put in place. Uh, and, you know, these are sophisticated attacks. It's not good enough to say, you know what, I'm just going to go into my firewall and turn off any traffic from <laughs> Russia and Ukraine. Because you can do that. But the attackers, they're usually leapfrogging through systems or going through Tor or whatever. So that, that type of regional block doesn't work. You just need to be prepared in the eventuality that your defenses fail. Like, do you have offline backups that you could restore from? If you don't, Take some time this week to take a look, make sure you've got those in place, put something in place, because things are things are getting rough out there. What's interesting is, okay, so they're threatening us with cyber attacks if we interfere politically. Okay, what is our, I mean, I would assume that our ability to or, uh, address response, those threats yeah. and respond to it would be, I mean, we're, we're not a bunch of stupid idiots. Yeah, we'll do the same. Yeah. Capabilities. We, we got ways to get back at them. And then you got to think about the idea that it's not like a gun, right? Where you got a bunch of bullets in it or a bomb that does a bunch of damage. You use a cyber weapon and it's kind of a one and done thing a lot of times, right? It's it's done its thing. Now we understand how that works. We can now uh, mitigate that. Yeah. So if they're going to start that type of war, they either got a bunch of stuff in the wings or they got a lot of people or both or like, what would you say they're standing well, like this? Let me, let me tell you one thing they have uh, that, that we don't. There's probably many things, but yeah. one, one important thing that they have that we don't. Um, do you remember last year, we reported on this, mm -hmm. that Russia was bringing up their own DNS root hint servers. Yes. They didn't want to rely on the global ones, which were mostly under the U.S. control, yeah. right? Uh, and they started putting their firewalling in place and banning tunneling out of the country. They've effectively built a wall around the country that's just not turned on, right? Mm -hmm. But whenever they want, they can flip a switch. And they're and off. all of a sudden, they're on their own Russian internet, and we can't get into it. You got to be inside, right? yeah, inside the wall to right. Versus ours, where ours has so many holes going out to the rest of the world, we can't close it off, right? Uh, China can close theirs off. Yeah, they, they got, got the great, the great firewall. firewall right? Yeah, we cannot close ours off. So, there's as a private sector person, you're just you're you're exposed, and you're going to have to yeah. deal with it. It's up to you to defend yourself, right? Okay. I mean, that's the American way, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I right? got three letters. Staunch individualism. <laughs> three letters for you. EMP. 
EMP. EMP. You go in. That, you dro- I don't know. You guys drop one of those. Lots of damage. Yes, it does. I mean, I saw Ocean's Eleven. It seems a pretty pinch, straightforward, right? That's a, what pinch. a pinch. You need a pinch. You need a pinch. Well, I got to say, this is disappointing as someone you know who saw Red Dawn as a kid, and and yeah. you you had your little really fantasy of what, what will I do? Yeah. And now I'm like, now I got to get a computer. <laughs> like, it gotta, was more. It was more war games than it was. Yeah. Right yeah. Do I need to yeah. be in the woods still? Because you know, I'm going to be in the mountains. So. I could teach somebody how to shoot an AK-47 in about. 12 minutes, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maintaining safety protocols, exactly. 12 minutes, yeah. right? But teaching somebody how to hack into a system or whatever, yeah. It's, Not as easy as it yeah, sounds, let nah, me tell you. Nah. <laughs> a group of high school kids from Colorado aren't going to cut it. No, <laughs> yeah. they're not gonna, Unless they're super smart. going to save the world. Yeah, it's like, well, the MIT robotics team yeah. actually came in. <laughs> we'll get you, Russia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's that's uh, something to, to watch. So, yeah, yeah. as Don said, check your systems because... It could be hitting the fan. Yeah. You never know. Uh, good backups, encryption. Yeah, good good firewalls. advice anytime. Right. This but... isn't just for this because this is happening, but because at any time something like this could happen. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of people in, in technology where they say, oh, I don't follow politics. I don't care. But here it's kind of like a warning sign for right. us. Like things are heating up. This is going to boil over and affect everyone. Yeah. Well, I have no segue uh, to our next webinar, which is coming up, <laughs> Resolutions for Your IT Career in 2022, if, you know, 2022 is still going to happen. Uh, we're not sure. I mean, we're uh, here. <laughs> we're here right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that is taking place this Thursday, today, uh, January 27th, uh, with Adam Gordon and Chris Ward. So you can check that out at 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, at itpro.tv slash webinars. That's where you sign up. And if you're watching after the fact, don't worry. You can still have, head over there and see the archive version of that uh, or wait a couple weeks and see Daniel and Ben Fink uh, from OnDefend on the blueprint for a successful pen test tips and tricks to maximize your investment that's Thursday February 10th same website itspro.tv slash webinars and check that out uh, you can also head over to technado.com and there you can see all the la- uh, latest episodes subscribe send us some some listener mail stories you want to hear about uh, you can also click that big orange button that says uh, sponsored by IT Pro TV, and you can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal membership to IT Pro TV. You can also request a team trial uh, for all the great features available to teams of, of two or more people uh, from IT Pro TV. So check all that out. All right. Uh, thank you to Terja for joining us earlier and uh, and talking cloud. And uh, thank you guys for, for being here and um, look forward to the impending attack. <laughs> yep. We'll have a party. Uh, yeah. Cyber tech party. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, my computer just went offline. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> is that ransomware? <laughs> oh, man, those yeah. kooky Russians. <laughs> it's going to have to be a LAN party because the internet is down. Yeah. So yeah. Dark nets for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week, hopefully, uh, right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.